Hello and welcome to What Is This Music, a podcast about the mysteries of musical taste, why we love the music we love and hate what we hate. Sarah Feldman is a composer and musician currently based in Vancouver. She's also the host of the Sounds Good channel on YouTube, a bi-weekly series of music education videos. Now, this episode is a bit of a side road from the usual focus of this podcast, but uh, I wanted to talk to Sarah because I think that uh, our projects overlap a little bit um, in the sense of just trying to get to the root of what music is, what music means. It's an interesting talk, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. So, uh, Sarah Feldman. Hi. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So you're a musician and composer, right. and you're also the host of the Sounds Good channel on YouTube. That's right, yeah. Um, can you tell me and uh, any listeners who might not be familiar uh, what what the mission of the Sounds Good channel is? Yeah, um, so I would say that basically I'm, I'm trying to create... Um, music education content that is sort of updated, um, more socially conscious than the experiences that I've had um, in music education in the past. So I have a degree in electroacoustics from Concordia and have been studying music uh, in various like contexts uh, with different teachers um, since I was fairly young, since I was like a teenager. Um, so just trying to synthesize all these different experiences that I've had, many of them like very good, um, but trying to synthesize them and try and update them in a way that feels like, um, yeah, a little bit more socially conscious than my previous experiences have been. And also, um, trying to make it a little bit more welcoming, um, I think in my experiences of like in the classical music world, it feels like you have to fit a very specific mold or, or, you know, it'll be very clearly communicated to you that you don't belong. And I think there's a lot of things from that world that uh, people from various other worlds um, in like other music, music fields would probably really benefit from because I know I did. I sort of Pushed through the the feelings of alienation and was just determined to to learn, and really enjoyed that stuff and um, and also sort of drawing a bit from uh, more of like an art school approach, I guess you could say, like l- trying to engage a little bit more with symbolism and um, more sort of like critical self reflection um, rather than just formalism, which I think is often what a lot of music education is focused on. And trying to get um, learn from pop music and stuff too, but yeah. Okay, so yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot there to talk about. So uh, indeed, just, while it's fresh in my mind, how would you define the difference between formalism and symbolism? Right. So I mean, I think that they, depending on how you think of it, they could uh, those definitions could bleed into each other a little bit. But um, in in electroacoustics, like. And, and also in like studying Western tonal music theory, like you're the, you're studying like, what is this? Like, what are the, what are the things that are happening? What are the sounds that are happening? What are the notes? Uh, or like, 
what are the melodies or harmonies or what is the counterpoint or what's this, how does the spectrum of the sound change over time if it's in electroacoustics. Um, and so that would be more like the, the formalism, I guess, like the, the actual sound, sounds or, or notes. Um, and symbolism would be like, um, you know, I chose to use this particular melodic passage because it reminds me of like this style of music and even more simply, just like the emotion or, or um, reference that uh, sort of like musical um, unit, what, at whatever size sort of speaks to, I would say. Which would be like, you know, the art school reference, trying to defend your concept. And in music school, we don't really talk about that very much. That's really uh, kind of fascinating to me that you, the, the way you described um, the, your music uh, education experience. I mean, it's kind of like, I'm kind of surprised. It sounds like they haven't caught up with the times. I mean, it almost sounds like a cliche of what you would like a caricature of a cl of a classical music kind of establishment way of thinking, like stuck in the past, not wanting to to get with the times. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, you know, at Concordia, it was like when I was in my later degrees of electroacoustics and taking music classes at Concordia, it was definitely I felt pretty welcome there. Um, but when I was younger, um, when I was doing like all kinds of you know, because I guess like when I was younger, I was really curious and I wanted to educate myself and I didn't like I grew up, I grew up in Saskatoon. So it wasn't like there was a whole lot of options for like weirder stuff uh, there in terms of like music education programs. And so, you know, I was like going I was going to the U of S in Saskatoon and, you know, like trying to engage with with that type of world. And like, yeah, definitely felt like uh not not welcome like there's like a very it's like if you haven't followed their program of like you know starting scales when you're four and like you know not really doing anything very creative or very challenging um yeah yeah st stuck in the past and kind of defensive i feel there's i think <laughs> there's like something that maybe people are trying to protect um and that that can make people behave in unwelcoming ways you know i mean i love i love classical music and i you know like as i've already said like i really appreciate the the way that like learning the rules of harmony or learning counterpoint has affected writing my melody writing for my own like band or whatever that's not you know it's not really like contrapuntal but it helped it's helped me so much to be able to just understand what i'm doing what I'm working. You know, I saw some of your videos about composers like Julius Eastman, Daphne Orm, and then, or your, or this week's episode about Wendy Carlos. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, insofar as I can see, it's sort of like these composers exist um, at the intersection of classical music and like electronic, early electronic music. Mm -hmm. But is that what is meant by electroacoustics per se, or is that a, a different so I mean electroacoustics literally just means like sound coming out of a speaker um, so and it, there's there's some confusing overlap going on here because um, the electroacoustics program that I studied in is pretty much it's based in a specific tradition of electronic music 
which um, like Orm to a lesser extent um, and Carlos also like more more like I would say like Stockhausen uh, would be more of a real predecessor to that um, that that particular tradition um, called acousmatics. Um, it's like a French uh, music tradition that sort of is like computer based and extremely it's like the most formalist music you can imagine like um, and I, I really don't like <laughs> like that music but it's a good it's it works as a good educational framework so uh, the term electroacoustics is is one of the most broad terms um, that you can really think of in a way and then but then it's also sort of uh, used to talk about this particular music tradition. This speaks to sort of like what I'm interested in is sort of creating almost like a new category that includes all kinds of different things where like electronic music and um, and just generally experimental ideas are are sort of maybe at the center of it, but it's not necessarily in line with a specific tradition. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the just prominent experimental composers from the pre-internet era uh, had to be involved with, you know, sort of like the the continuation of the classical world in music institutions in some way or another to be recognized, or in the case of Orm, to be with a different kind of institution. So that's sort of where I've started because um, this project is very, very new. Um, this will be my sixth video, seventh video coming out, I think. So I'm just still figuring out a lot about even what is this sort of like category of music or whatever that I sort of, am, I mean, it's basically just like what I'm interested in. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about like how uh, you decided to, to start this YouTube channel because, um, you know, I think like probably, well, I don't want to say a lot of people, probably some people have had the thought like, you know, I need to take this, take this idea to the, to the masses or like shake up the institutional way of, of looking at things. Certainly. So how, how did you come to that, to that idea? Well, um, I, like, honestly, the pandemic had a lot to do with it. Like I, so like I'm, I just finished my degree actually. It's taken me quite a while. Um, I've had like some some personal interruptions that have sort of made it made my the undergrad phase of my life quite quite long, which I think is also pretty normal. But that's how it's happened anyway. Um, and so I'm at this point where I'm sort of just just able just just able to start thinking about my professional life and. Um, I, you know, have wanted to be a professional musician since I was like 13 or something like that. So I've sort of decided like, okay, I, you know, I, I'm going to shoot my shot because I, I just, I think I, as much as it's like really scary, um, I, I want to do that for myself. Um, and I just, I remember, well, I was actually just like a talk with uh, Brian Eno that I was watching right at the beginning of the pandemic. And they're just talking about, you know, where things going to go? Well, how is the world going to change from this? And one of the things we're, they were just talking about is how this moment has really shown how important the internet is in terms of communicating with one another. And uh, I was sort of like, hmm, yes. 
the internet. Like, how how am I gonna like, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna be able to play shows for I don't know, maybe two years or however long it is. So I'm gonna figure out I'm gonna figure out some way of trying to reach people on the internet. I mean, from there, it sort of all kind of fell into place pretty. Uh, the concept fell into place relatively quickly and in sort of intuitively. I guess these are things that I've just been, you know, as you say, like many people, been thinking about in ver- you know, with various degrees of intentionality for a decade or something, right? And um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just felt like I had a perspective to offer that was that I wasn't seeing. Uh, out there and I felt was like shared with um, lots of people that I knew or people that I just sort of see on the internet I don't know of a of a of a channel like what I'm trying to do on the on YouTube yet and I was really like I remember like trying to find it you know and just being like I can't like I was like what this doesn't exist like uh, I can't, there's no, you know, I was like, I was like, there's gotta be like documentaries on women and electronic music and early electronic music. Like, how does that not exist? And I was like, well, I guess this can also, maybe it's a good thing because it can be my, my niche. You, you, you said that you wanted to do something that was like more welcoming. And I thought, I think that's such a great, uh, a, a, a great idea. Um, I, I was curious because you know we talked about the profiles of composers that you've done you also do get pretty like under the hood with um with the mechanics would you call it of music or like it's not exactly theory it's more like a, like a straight description of like the scientific phenomena of music yeah um, um yeah i mean like fundamentals of sound i would say is sort of like how i how i think of it at least but I guess I also yeah. come from a pretty specific educational background, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. It's beyond uh, music. It's talking about, as you say, the fundamentals of sound. Yeah. And it gets uh, pretty technical. I mean, yeah. That, I, that's my own perspective as someone who, like, always failed science and math, like, consistently throughout um, school. Right. Um, but, but uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously you feel that that stuff is important to, to, to understand uh, yeah. from a musical perspective. It's been important for me. Um, and it's definitely, I think that I've actually like, I, I'm going to steer away from that stuff as much. Like, um, I mean, there's only so many things there's only, there's not a, I mean, one of the things about it is that being fundamentals, there aren't that actually, there are many subjects to talk about. And I've pretty close to exhausted them. I would say, um, like one day I'll do a video on reverb and or sound reflections, I guess more specifically. Um, but I mean, I have found, I mean, the timbre video. So I did a video on the concept of timbre, which the one sentence explanation is the thing that makes two sounds of the same pitch sound different from one another. So basically, for anyone listening who uh, who doesn't already isn't already familiar with the concept basically like if uh if Malcolm and I like sang the same uh pitch like a note of the same pitch and you know one after another you'd be able to be like oh well that one was Sarah that one was Malcolm so timbre is basically the quality of the sound that allows us to differentiate those things 
Um, but it's uh, and it's a it's kind of a big psychoacoustic uh, big question mark. There's a lot about it that we don't actually understand. Um, yeah, it seems more abstract somehow. Yeah, well, the the difficulty is that we don't really know what goes on in our brains. Um, so there are these sort of measurable things that we can say have something to do with timbre. Like we can say, well, when these things change, the timbre changes. Or when these qualities of the sound that are measurable uh, change, then people will perceive these sounds as having a different timbre. But uh, how all that actually happens, we don't actually know. Um, psychoacoustics or like the study of like how our brains perceive sound is actually very, very new and uh, like a nascent, relatively speaking, nascent field. So, um, I mean, I just like, you know, and I mean, it's at the end of the video, I'm kind of like, you know, sometimes it's good enough to know what you don't know. Like, uh, I don't, I don't think that like knowing the, 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 I don't know, the weird world of timbre is really going to have much to do with people's relationship to music. And I think that's ultimately like what, you know, I'm, that's what I'm trying to do is enrich people's relationship to music at all sort of levels of interest. Um, but I just find it, I think it's just quite interesting. That's <laughs> basically why, I don't know, it's, I, I find it important. And, but I don't, I don't have the strongest argument, honestly, for being like, oh, people really need to know this stuff. Like, um, I think, you know, probably most most musicians who make music that many people love or that some people really love or whatever impacted people probably don't know. Um, but I think, I mean, I think that it can really just, it, I guess it can enrich your experience of listening uh, to music or sounds in general. And I think that that's something that I've really appreciated about my education is just sort of being like, oh, the world of sound is so much more alive and more detailed in my experience of it since I have been, since I've learned all this stuff. Um, so in that sense, I think it's, it's a pleasure to understand. Uh, but like the next video I'm working on is on musical notation and um, how different long-standing music cultures have very, very different approaches to notation and choose to uh, to include or exclude diff totally different types of information. Like there's some um, notation styles that don't notate rhythm, for example, and that will you know, so so that that says so much about how uh, like a whole culture or a whole tradition would conceive how they would think about music or how a whole group of people might think about music. And, um, you know, our our Western model has things that it's really good at sort of expressing um, and other things that are totally missing. And there's like a value, you know, there's like a value judgment there, I guess. So there's like, yeah. And I think that's maybe maybe that would be something that's like a little bit more like, well, that could maybe help uh, a composer or like somebody who wants to write music a little bit more than just being like, well, technically, we we don't actually know what timbre is like <laughs> I can just uh, I'm empowering pedants. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so. Uh... 
Yeah, I I feel like some, you know, maybe it's unfair to say, but I'll use the phrase anyway, like some kind of music snobs I know, they mm-hmm. kind of like, they act like music theory is like, a, you know, a series of facts that you mm-hmm. either, you know, know and master or like you you don't. Yeah. And, and that... Um, you know, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but like, that it's that it's important um, to 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 know this this theory. And certainly, people who who say that they tend to like their 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 deep knowledge of music theory is is helpful to to them mm-hmm. for like having a vocabulary uh, and a reference for everything. Sure. But um, I'm interested to hear you 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 talk about you know the different forms of, of notation that can be found all around and like how they, rep- they, they can include or exclude different things than our uh, Western system does. Did you, a little while ago, there was an article, of course, I, you know, I, I can't p- think of the, of the author right now. And there was also a, a YouTube video on the same topic of like, sort of like pushing, pushing the button of saying that like, the, there's like a white supremacist root yeah. of of music theory. Do, well, they're, they're just, you're aware of that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, what do you at, think that, about at that Adam Neely video? There's a there's a very very so there's classical music YouTube that's just really big, um, and Adam Neely, who's a, probably has the biggest classical music channel, did a really really great video on on that, and totally totally everyone should go watch that video. It's 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 really smart and i think the way that i would respond to your question unless like were you was there anything more that you wanted to say or was that oh you know sometimes i just like force myself to stop because i realize (laughs) that if i don't i'll just like continue rambling (laughs) okay well like uh like what i would say is that they're they're like music theory singular is like a not really a real concept like that um that there are many different music theories and this sort of like way of thinking that you're talking about that's very real um you know is just excludes uh all of the other music traditions that are out there in the world that uh have can have very different sometimes overlapping sometimes uh really different sometimes a bit of both uh, different rules and and values, just entirely different ways of conceiving about what music like can or should be or shouldn't be or whatever. Also, on the other hand, I my personal experience has been that having a framework to just try and understand what's going on formally um, is extremely useful, and I think can be. I think I think that what I would love to see is that more people encouraged to learn frameworks that can help them understand w- like w- what is actually going on in a piece of music that they listen to or whatever. It doesn't necessarily like you know I personally just happen to know the the western one really well because I haven't had the opportunity to stutter, study other th- like traditions really deeply and I would absolutely love to and hope that I will be able to do that at some point in the future but it's not so much about like 
like obviously when you're and also like if you're trying to understand music that's written in this tradition then understanding the theory is essential but in general like you know it's like it's almost just like a kind of ear training it's like learning counterpoint or learning the rules of harmony is like another kind of ear training it's just forcing you to really 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 think about like how does each element interact and how does that translate into what kind of experience that I personally am having and those experiences uh, can be very very different um, and so I think like music theory as being like a pre prescriptive uh, kind of concept is like really out outdated and also just not in it's just simply it's not even outdated it's just simply not uh real like it's not in tune with reality to use another music uh <laughs> metaphor it just simply isn't real like um but that using it to like using any kind of framework to analyze music and analyze sound i think is a gift to to literally any person who's interested in music and um yeah i think that to to cycle back to this welcoming idea i think that hopefully i can encourage people to to just want to engage with different uh for analytical frameworks of music so that they can enrich their experience of listening or or writing music um and and really trying to not be like that 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 archetype of a person you mentioned earlier being like uh this is you know like you should know these facts about what music is or whatever which is very intimidating is and wrong <laughs> yeah um on the other side of it i remember working some years ago with a musician who came from a more like house music electronic music background and yeah. like you know, I, I my music theory uh, knowledge and musical vocabulary is quite limited. But like at a certain point, yeah, I was working with this guy and I started to like, get a bit frustrated because it, like there was nothing in my limited vocabulary that he understood. It was everything. If I said something about the song being in a key or like uh -huh. one semitone up or like maybe one, four, five, like. Right. It was it's like, like the no, first time he had no ever heard point. that. Yeah. And he just didn't know what I meant at all. And it was a bit frustrating at first. And then I kind of started to realize that like, he was just coming from a completely different perspective. And like, yeah. I don't want to say it's not musical, but it's like everything that he, in his perception was more like, to my mind, like sonic than like mm -hmm. musical in quotes per mm -hmm. se. Tonal maybe, And yeah. once I kind of looked at it that way mm -hmm. i found that i could move the collaboration a bit forward out of this log jam because you know conversely i didn't really understand any of the buttons he was pushing or like any of his framework for for understanding Absolutely. what we were doing yeah yeah i think that points to something you know i mean i think that points to like the big challenge um and and one that will like never you know like i will never be able to figure out how to communicate to like every kind of person who's interested in music um or be able to like anticipate like yeah like what people's like reference points of understanding are or whatever but i think 
you know, trying to even just like make an encouraging environment for people to try and like bridge these gaps and like, yeah, like not, uh, not like privilege one kind of knowledge set over another, um, would be, would be really great. And would we, we would all like, I think we all have, we all stand a lot of, a lot to gain from trying to break some of those, uh, differences and in some cases hierarchies down. I did want to ask you one thing uh, because the the theme of this podcast is really like you know the the mysteries of musical taste why people like the music they they like and right. they hate what they hate yeah um, so it's like it has more to do maybe with psychology or, or sociology than sure. than some of the more like uh, you know scientific um, things that, that that you get into but um, I was curious I did notice one thing when you were you were sort of like explaining the you know the term formalist music and you, right. you referred to like Stockhausen and some other composers of that ilk and you right you, you said that you really don't like that kind of music oh I, I actually I so I wasn't I didn't mean to I do really like Stockhausen actually okay. um, maybe I, yeah. I miss misheard something right no there. so I meant the 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 kusmatic tradition that followed that is in some senses a continuation of the modernist tradition um although only only in the connection that like modernist music is very formalist um and so is acousmatic music but no actually um i mean i talk about this a little bit in the wendy carlos video and yeah as much as as much as like you know i think that uh having like a purely there's a lot lost in having like a purely formalist perspective to writing music. And I think, yeah, I love, love, love a good Stockhausen. I love the earlier serialist stuff too. Like, um, listen to a lot of Schoenberg, a lot of, a lot of Berg and Webern also is one of my favorite composers ever. His, right. his music is like, it just boggles my mind entirely. Every time I hear it, it's like, Dis so dissonant and unlistenable, but so fascinating. Like, just so incredible that structures that you referred to. Um, the subsequent music that you said you really don't like. What is it you don't like about that music? Well, I think that I'm gonna separate it because I've said I've said now that I, well, I've been a bit critical of modernism for being sort of obsessively formal or or dogmatically formal. Uh, although I do really like a lot of it. Um, but I think the Kusmatic tradition takes this uh, formalism to like a whole other level, I guess. Right. So with modernism, um, you know, it's very much writ like, I mean, obviously, serialism and modernism started before the world wars. But I think what gave a lot of that style, its sort of staying power and, and its appeal to the sort of like, you know, I don't know, the most, the foremost minds of music at the time, you know, we're talking like 1950s here and stuff, was a response to the, the horrors of the Second World War. And I think that that really gave it, uh, you know, although, although the composers wouldn't say so in, in lots of ways, uh, I think that the sort of emotional depth that comes from uh, these people just being like, the world is so... Can I swear on the show? Yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> these people being like, the world is so fucked. And writing this really fucked up music about it, even though even though they would say, no, this is just about the the formalism of it. Uh, they, you know, like it makes it makes sense also that they wrote this like this extremely harsh and sort of horrifying music. And like, I really uh, feel something when I listen to uh, to Stockhausen, for example. Um However, with the acousmatic tradition that followed it, I feel like there there is there was no such response, you know. So this was stuff that was happening 70s, 80s, 90s, and there was no, you know, even though I feel like the modernists were maybe a little bit confused about how much their sort of emotional worlds were impacting their music, I think it, with acousmatic music, it just doesn't feel like there's anything like that there. It just feels like this is just about listening to extremely detailed sounds. Um, and it's very predictable in this way and like and scientific. And to me, it just lacks like a kind of emotional lifeblood that I think is essential to music. Um, even if in some cases people are in denial about its existence in their music or or or, or not, I think for me that that tradition just uh, there's it's just it goes it goes too far in the formalist direction and there's just like it doesn't it just it just sort of gives me a headache like it just doesn't really feel like the composer is communicating themselves to me in any kind of way. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I, I think that your project is so cool and, uh, and I you. really wish you all, all the best of luck with it. Thank you. Um, I'm really glad. I mean, as you say, you, you, you saw a gap um, out there in the, uh, in the world and, and you're filling yeah. it. It's, it's, it's such a cool idea and, and your execution of it is, is very cool too. Thank you. Um, it was really fun chatting with you. It was, yeah. It was yeah, it was really nice. Uh, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. And, uh, yeah. and best of luck with all your projects. Thank you very much. You can find the Sounds Good channel on YouTube and follow them on all the appropriate social media. Sarah Feldman's original music can also be found on Bandcamp. And uh, you can find me, Malcolm Fraser, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find the What Is This Music page on Facebook and there as well as on the podcast homepage. You'll find all the episodes as well as the Spotify playlist that Sarah created just for this episode. Check them out. Thank you for listening. See you next time.